Welcome to those who are watching online this morning as well. Uh, we are grateful that you're able to be with us in that way, even though not in the room. And uh, as we turn towards God's words, God's word now, and launch our theme for the year, let's uh, let's pray. Let's be still and ask Jesus to help us to be people, branches who abide this morning, who connect ourselves to Him. Heavenly Father, you are the gardener, the one who tends to the vine and the branches, those of us who choose to connect ourselves to Jesus. And Jesus, you are the vine, the one from, all, from whom all of our life and source and energy, everything that we need comes. Lord, help us to be deeply connected to you. Even now, as we sit and as we still our hearts and our minds, Lord, we position ourselves ready to receive from you. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you want to say to us today. We give you space and permission to speak this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us, we pray. Breathe life into us. Revive and renew us. And shape our hearts however you want to shape them this morning, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, just a few days ago, uh, the Billabong turned 24 years old. Uh, 1st of February 2000, and, well, the year 2000, was when uh, our founding pastor, Mark Illingworth, and his wife, Deborah, began with a congregation of three people, average age approximately three years old. Uh, they're, they're three kids. 24 years later, when our two congregations, one of those kids co-leading one of them, uh, and we're just beginning to discover what that means. We're beginning to discover how that feels to be two congregations in the one family, what it looks like practically. And of course, in just 12 months' time, we will hit that major milestone of 25 years, a quarter of a century as a church. I think it's a big one. Uh, unfortunately, we sort of missed 20 and 21 as COVID was happening. It was hard to do anything together, but I think we will have one heck of a celebration in here's time. Uh, for me, this makes this year, these next 12 months, a particularly significant 12 months as we think and ask ourselves, how will we move from the first 25 to the next 25? What will the next quarter of a century, quarter of a century look like? Um, what will we be celebrating next year and what will we be anticipating? To put it another way, who are we becoming as a church in the lead-up to, to this, this milestone of 25 years? I think that's a really important question for our, for our church family. I think it's an important question for 
on the one hand, our Piara Waters congregation in its infancy, who, who, who are they becoming? And it's an important question for us, our Canningvale congregation, having shifted and changed significantly a few months ago when we released Piara Waters. But there's, two, there's a couple of sides to that, this question of who are we becoming. One aspect of it is the things we do. And this is really important. I mean, the things we give attention to, what we choose to do and not do. Are we becoming a church who invests in young people specifically? Are we, becoming, are we a church who care for the poor or reach out to prisoners? Do we hold rich worship gatherings? Do we run training? Are we a church who does internships? Are we a church who invests in... Like there's all sorts of things we can choose to do or not do. And, and knowing... What God's call on us is is really important because God's placed us in Canningvale, not in Applecross or Hillary's or Bustleton, but in Canningvale with particular needs and points of pain and particular opportunities. And this shapes who we're becoming in the sense of what we do, what we give our attention to. But who we are becoming is not only about the things that we do, is it? It's about also the kind of people we are. Who are we becoming? Not just what are we doing. What is the character that's being formed in us? Are the activities that we engage in, whatever we choose for them to be, producing good fruit or just blowing hot air? Who are we becoming? What's, what's being formed in us and through us? We, when we turn... 25 next year, we'll be, be able to say, will we be able to say, we are genuinely becoming the kind of people, the kind of community that God really desires to have in Canningvale. Uh, in January, I was reflecting on the year that's been, 2023, and, and, and thinking about the year ahead, and I came across this statement from uh, Dallas Willard. Some of you will have read some, some Dallas Willard. It starts like this. This is the beginning. It says, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is... Now, let's not go on to the next slide yet. right? I don't know about you, but when you read this quote, you kind of go, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. The greatest issue. I mean, that's, that's a big claim. Like, there are a lot of issues facing the world. Lots of different things we can say, well, this is the most important. This is the most challenging thing. But to say, well, this is the, the greatest issue, how do, you, how do you choose that? I mean, is it war? Is it political division? Is it, is it uh, climate change? Is it getting the gospel to unreached people groups? Well, what's the greatest issue of all of these? Maybe you have something that comes to mind for you. Well, the, the biggest one's really this. Well, here's what Dallas Willard says. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, i.e. students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him. He's just describing a disciple here. Learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples. Now notice here he doesn't say the greatest issue facing the world today is whether people will become disciples of Jesus, as in whether people and general human beings will choose to follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the greatest issue is whether Christians will become 
disciples of Jesus. But hang on a minute, isn't that what a Christian is? Isn't, isn't this just another name for a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? Isn't a Christian, a, a follower, a learner, someone who seeks to live out the way of Jesus? Well, once upon a time, maybe we could say, yeah, that was pretty much true. In a world or a, or a culture where holding the title of Christian meant that you made significant sacrifices in order to follow Jesus. In that kind of world where you couldn't just choose to be a Christian and, and it didn't affect your life much, then yeah, a Christian truly is a disciple. But in the West today, and maybe it's shifting a little bit, but still not fully, in the West today, you can consider yourself to be a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But not submit yourself as a true student, learner, apprentice is a good word, practitioner of the way of Jesus. And yet that is exactly what a disciple is. Maybe it's helpful to, to go, well, what, what is meant by this language, or this word disciple? It's not as if you, you hear it commonly like, oh, I'm a, I'm a disciple of this maths teacher or I'm a disciple of this plumber. I'm learning. People don't use that language because, of course, it's Jewish language uh, and refers to someone who would follow, learn from, apprentice under a, yeah, master, a rabbi, right? All Jewish kids at this time in Jesus' day would start off learning the scriptures and the Jewish customs, like getting ingrained in that way of life. And by the way, this would include memorizing the Torah. Those Cameron called it the Fab Five, right? The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Anybody memorized them recently? This is the starting point for Jewish kids, Jewish boys. Then some would go on to the next stage to keep learning instead of going back into the family business. Those who stopped there, they'd go back to being a farmer or a carpenter or whatever, you know, dad you know, gave on, put, gave, uh, you know, passed on to you. But some would go on and they would memorize much more of the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. And then a few, and then a select few who got to that stage, would then be invited to become disciples who went all the way. What did it mean to go the whole distance as a disciple? Well, here was the life of a disciple. Really, it's three things. Firstly, you would be with your rabbi. I forget, yep. That meant that day after day, you'd be learning, observing. You'd be spending every minute of every day with your rabbi following in their footsteps. A first century blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi because you're walking behind them, the dust are from their feet, it's kicking up in your face. A disciple left everything to do this one thing, be with his rabbi 24-7, 365 days a year. So, so that, second point, you would become like your rabbi. You spend enough time with someone, you begin to take on their mannerisms and their ways of doing things and the things they say. You become more and more like your rabbi. And eventually you would then be ready to do what your rabbi did. One day your rabbi would sit down and say, okay, kid, you have my blessing. Go 
and make disciples. Sound familiar? To be a Christian is to believe and to accept that Jesus loves you, has died for your sins, freely offers you eternal life through simple trust in him. And that is a fantastic thing. Please don't get me wrong. I want as many people as possible to become Christians because there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved than that of the name of Jesus. We want people to choose faith in Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. But I also want people to become disciples. Choosing to make Jesus not just the one they believe in, but their rabbi, in a sense. Which means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to do what Jesus did. There's a progression here, isn't there? It's not sort of, well, sometimes we'll try to do what Jesus did and other times we'll try to be with him. It's in the being with someone that that person rubs off on you and you become more like them. It's in the being with Jesus that we become more like Jesus. And then it's in becoming more like him that we are gradually able to do more and more of what he did. We spent January at the start being with Jesus, abiding in Jesus. Because if we neglect this, we can't move into the next phases. But I think this word in the middle, become, is the word for us for this year. Let's go back to that Dallas Willard quote and have a look again, where he says, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples will become students, will become apprentices, become practitioners. The big issue is whether those who identify as Christian will not sort of go like, oh, yeah, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll be a disciple, but enter the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Because it's a choice but also a process. It's choosing to learn from and follow Jesus every day. So that over time, what we become is different from what we were before. Becoming more like Jesus by being with him. Becoming more like Jesus so we can do the things he did. So who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? Who are we becoming? I want this to be our theme and our focus for this year. Becoming, fill in the blank. Becoming kind, becoming selfless, becoming more like Jesus. Now, chances are you naturally tend towards one sort of side or the other when it comes to the becoming more like Jesus. One, one way is going, right, I want to do the things he did. I want to be able to love the poor like he did. I want to be able to operate in the supernatural like he did. I want to be able to hear God's voice like Jesus did. And others of you will go, well, no, no, I, I lean towards the be with Jesus part, right, of the three. Because I, I, I know we need that groundedness and that abiding if the other things that have happened. So some of us lean towards the being part and some of us lean towards the doing part, and that's okay. What I want to do is try to find the balance, if you like, a little this year. And recognize the connectedness between the two. It's in the being that the doing comes. 
But what's happening, what we are doing is showing who we are and where we're connected and whether we're spending time with him. Throughout January, again, we were thinking about that image of branches connected to a vine, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And if you do not abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. I want to read another sort of analogy, thinking about this from a slightly different angle. But uh, This is a quote from Paul David Tripp. He says this, let's say I have an apple tree in the backyard, in my backyard. Each year, its apples are wrinkled and dry and, and brown and pulpy. And after several seasons, my wife says, it doesn't make any sense to have this done apple tree and never be able to eat any apples. Can't you do something about it? Well, one day, my wife looks out the window to see me in the yard carrying branch cutters, an industrial-grade staple gun, a ladder and two bushels of apples. I climb the ladder, cut off all the pulpy apples and staple shiny red apples onto every branch of the tree. From a distance, the tree looks like it is full of beautiful, a beautiful harvest. But if you were my wife, you would be thinking, what would you be thinking of me at this moment? If a tree produces bad apples year after year, down to its very roots, sorry, sorry, year after year, there is something drastically wrong with its system down to its very roots. I won't solve the problem by stapling new apples onto the branches. So... If we want to become more like Jesus, we're going to need to make sure the roots are healthy and attend to the abiding, the connection, but also understand what healthy fruit looks like. You don't know there's a problem if you can't see that, oh, the apples are wrong. We've got to give attention to both the being with Jesus. We've also got to give attention to what it looks like to do the things he did whilst understanding that one leads to the other and not start in the wrong direction. So what comes to mind for you then when you think about becoming more like Jesus? It's probably a number of things. Uh, that you think about when you think about the character or the capacity, the ability of Jesus, the man who uh, discipled these ragtag bunch of guys and did all these miracles and cared for the poor and all sorts of things. Uh, here's a couple of examples that came to mind for me. To become more like Jesus could mean becoming attentive to the Father's voice, becoming obedient to the Father's voice, becoming an early riser, becoming selfless, becoming just, becoming compassionate, becoming an advocate of the poor, becoming a pleaser of God, not of people, becoming an opponent of religion, becoming a lover of outcasts, becoming spirit-empowered, spirit-gifted, spirit-led, becoming secure in the Father's love, becoming grounded in God's word, becoming resistant to temptation, becoming a carrier of good news, becoming a team builder, becoming a believer in people, becoming kind, loving, patient, fill in the fruits of the Spirit. Any others that come to mind? And I'm going to quickly jot them down as sermon ideas. Well, you don't know. What else comes to mind? Becoming more like Jesus. Becoming forgiving. Absolutely. Becoming sacrificial. Humble, absolutely. Sorry? Peace-loving and peacemaking as well. Sorry, what was that one? Becoming? 
Oh, yeah, you, you read the one out that I missed on my list. <laughs> uh, becoming. There's so many. If you, if you really thought about it, you, we read the Gospels, there's four of them. Be, well, I didn't think about that one. Oh, yeah, there's, there's this one. So many aspects to Jesus' life that we tend to only capture just a little bit of it. So many ways we can grow and learn and apprentice under Jesus and become more like him this year. Now, hopefully, all of us here would say, yes, I, I want that. I do want to become more like Jesus in 2024. That's a good thing. And there's likely some things from that list or other things that come to mind, that, that you know, qualities that stand out for you when it comes to Jesus' life. Yes, I really do want to become more kind this year. I want to become more humble this year. I really would like to learn to walk in step with the Spirit like Jesus did this year. I want to become better at loving and caring for the poor and the outcasts. I want to be. I want to care for the prisoner and, and, and the widow. And so, I could wrap up today by asking you a question, something along the lines of: In what ways do you feel you want to become more like Jesus this year? If you were to fill in the blank, becoming what is it? Kind, humble, selfless, care of the poor, spirit led. What facet of Christ-likeness needs to develop in you? We could ask that question. What is it for you? But there's a risk in approaching discipleship, apprenticeship, learning from Jesus from this angle. Sure, we can say, God, I want to become more like Jesus by becoming more kind this year. I want to become more like Jesus by learning to operate in the gifts of the Spirit or by caring for the widows and orphans. But the problem is we don't know you and I don't actually know how God wants to make us more like Jesus this year. We can choose one or two things and go, well, that would be good. And, and those would be honourable things. But we don't know how God wants to do it. We can't see his perfect plan, his good and perfect plan. So when we say, God, I want to become more like Jesus in this particular way, dare I say, this is close to consumer Christianity. You know, drive up into the drive through Choose from the menu your own discipleship path, right? Being a disciple your way. Becoming more Christ-like so far as it's comfortable and achievable. Right? This is the sort of mentality of a consumer Christian who says, actually, it's about what I want to do. And maybe the ways that you want to grow and develop and mature are noble and honourable things. I do want to be more humble. I do want to become more kind. I do want to uh, learn to, to pray uh, more confidently. But Jesus might have a better plan for you that's actually his plan. And there's a good chance that the things we lean towards are just, it's because we're naturally wired that way and he's made us that way, so we, we lean in these certain directions. So maybe, for example, you'd say, this year I want to become more compassionate towards the poor. A good thing. A wonderful thing. A Christ-like thing. But Jesus might be saying to you, I've put that in you, that heart, that desire to care for the poor, and we don't actually need to work on that one right now. What I want to do is show you how to hear my father's voice so that when you care for the poor, I can use you to bless them more than you could ever bless them on your own. 
Or, to flip it around, maybe you'd say this year, I want to be more sensitive to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to learn to be still with Jesus because God has instilled the importance of that in your heart and mind, and it's a good thing. But all the while, Jesus is saying to you, but I want you to go be with the people in the local prison or those living on the streets because for you, that's where my, you'll see my spirit most at work. And you'll learn to walk in step with me there more than you will in your armchair. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but the point is this. You and I simply don't know what becoming more like Jesus actually needs to look like this year. We can say, I want to do this. I want to become more like that. Honorable things, but only Jesus knows what you need, what I need. And we've got approximately 47 weeks to explore those different facets of becoming more like Jesus, becoming kind, becoming a person of justice, becoming spirit-empowered. Frankly, none of it will make any difference if we're not committed to this one thing first, becoming disciples of Jesus. What I mean by that is to say to Jesus, you have my yes before I even know the question. I'm saying yes to you in following you before I even know what that's going to look like. Now, let me remind us of what this looks like by turning to the Word of God. I know we haven't had a Bible reading this morning. I'm going to incorporate the readings more into the messages this year. Uh, But here's Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll, I'll let down the nets. Now what's Jesus doing here? Right? He's testing whether Peter will listen to him. To start just a little bit, to let go of what Peter is so used to controlling, his nets, his boat. He says, look, help me out with the boat. Hey, put out your nets again. Just little things. Maybe there's been a season where God, Jesus has just been inviting you, hey, just be obedient to me in this, this little thing. Do you reckon you could give me control of this little thing? And it's been a sort of a testing time for you with Jesus. But for Peter, it doesn't stop there. He is obedient. He does what Jesus says. And then when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets begin to break. Maybe Jesus has proved to you that when you trust him in the things he says, actually he comes through. He's always faithful. The nets began to break. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, as she would be. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, You will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore. 
had a discussion with Jesus about a workable schedule for when he could disciple them, such that it didn't interfere with their fishing schedule, thanked him for the miracle and said, see you Monday. <laughs> Sorry, that was the WCV translation, the Western Christianity version. But let's be honest, this is a little bit how we approach being Christians, disciples of Jesus sometimes. Jesus, I want to work on this part of my life at these times. And depending on how that goes, maybe we could kind of move on to some other things later. Yes, sure, make me more kind. But I don't know about the patient part. We'll get to that. Whatever it is. But Jesus' invitation isn't come take a class with me or, or, or come do some training on a particular aspect of your character with me. It wasn't in this version of the story, but in the other Gospels, Jesus says specifically, distinctly, directly, come follow me to Peter. Not like come follow me on social media or, or, or just come follow me from time to time. This meant follow me as a disciple dedicates 100% of his time, attention, energy, life to a rabbi. And this was just astounding that this invitation, come follow me, come be my disciple, would happen for someone like Peter. I mean, he, he's one of the kids who only got as far as memorizing the Torah and then dropped out and went back to the family business. That's why he's fishing. He, he hadn't progressed through the ranks to be um, able and, and, and acceptable enough to be a disciple of the rabbi. And then let, yet here comes Jesus and goes, you trusted me with a little... So let's go to the next stage. Come follow me. Be my disciple. Peter and Andrew knew exactly what Jesus was inviting them into. Here's the actual verse. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Their boats, their nets, etc., represented not just some possessions that they had, like your car or your house even, this was their source of income, their way to feed their families. This was their trade, their security, their identity, their family inheritance. Everything was in those boats and nets. And they left everything. In other words, they didn't choose what becoming a disciple of Jesus would look like. They said, we'll follow you. Even though we haven't the slightest clue what it's going to be like, what it's going to cost us, the dangers, the people we'll have to interact with, the people we'll sit next to in church, the vulnerability it will require, whatever is involved, we are following you. And if we can make this commitment, not I want to become more kind, becoming uh, generous, becoming humble, but becoming disciples of Jesus. 100% in. You have my yes before I know the question. If we can make this commitment, then the rest of what we'll explore together over the course of this year will actually bear fruit. Jesus knows exactly what is required to become the kind of person that you are capable of becoming. He just needs you to say, yeah, I'll commit myself 100% to becoming your disciple. So that's our invitation. That's the invitation today. Will we become, choose to become 
disciples of Jesus, no matter the, what it'll cost, no matter what it'll mean, no matter what part of our heart he'll start to do some surgery on. That's the scariest thing. No matter whether we think we want to work on our kindness and he wants to work on our patience or we think we want to work on our heart for this group of people and he says, I want you to love this group of people, whatever it means, will we choose to become his disciples? To walk in the footsteps of our rabbi, to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, being with him, to become like him and do what he did. If the music team want to come up, I'm going to pray and just ask us to do just a simple thing. To uh, Why don't we stand? Before, as we go into this next song, I want to encourage you to recognize that there is much you have been given skills, talents, personality, personality family, possessions um, to hold those things figuratively, symbolically in your hands. And if, if your decision today, your, your choice is to say, I want to, I want to become a disciple of Jesus this year. This thing that is the greatest issue facing our world today, where the Christians will become disciples. Even if you feel you're partway there, actually we all drift away from this and just slip back into becoming comfortable Christians. But if you want to become a disciple, and that's your heart, that's your choice this year, symbolically hold what you have in your hands in front of you, like I'm doing here. And just say, Jesus, this is, this is what I have. This is the stuff I cling to. This is what I rely on. This is my, my inheritance, my livelihood, the way I, I feed my family, the way I, I, I have security. These are my sins, my insecurities, the, the ways I tend to operate to hide behind the stuff I don't want people to see. This is everything in my hands right now. And then we have a choice at the beginning of this year to either say, "Uh, Jesus, I just want to work on this little bit over in this part of my hand here. If that's where you're at, just be honest about that. I'm not ready to give you everything yet, Lord, but I want to be. But if you're in a place where it's like, Jesus, I want to, I want to leave behind, I want to leave at your feet everything so there's nothing in my hands and I just follow you. Then in whatever way you need to do that, as we're singing now, as we're worshipping him, uh, just change your posture to an open one like this. We just drop everything in your hands and leave it all at the feet of Jesus. Whatever is your boat and your nets, To leave it behind. Jesus, it's a, a hard thing to say yes to you when we don't know the question yet. But we like the stability and the comfort and the security of knowing where you'll take us and what it's going to involve.
But we trust that your heart for us, your purpose for us, is always for our good. It's because you love us. We can trust you completely with everything because you've proven yourself to us as one who is completely for us, loving us, caring for us. And even though some of the things you may take us into if we choose to be your disciples may be difficult, you ultimately only take us there because you love us and you have a better life for us. You have abundant life for us. So help us to know and remember how good you are, that we can release what you've put in our hands and choose to follow you with everything, our whole heart, our whole mind.